Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
screams were mere echoes in Salvatore's head, a chimera of shrieks and robotic tones married in some hellish form of acoustic wedlock. He could feel the splash of blood and other alien fluids dash across his body, dousing him in waves of crimson violence. He barely understood what he was doing. His actions were automatic, like he was just a passenger in the vehicle of his own body. There was a rage inside, his own, and something else's. As Salvatore broke apart the next door and walked down the preceding hall, a deluge of Belfine flooded across the opposite threshold, their various mechanized limbs scampering across the wall and floor. Sal roared and opened his eyes. The sensation was bizarre but familiar when those things shot from his eyes, long draconic things bearing an army of teeth, claws, and insectoid pincers. There had to be dozens of them spewing out of his ocular cavities, growling and caterwauling as they sought their prey. Some simply punched through his adversary's soft parts, dragging with them streams of entrails and cybernetic parts. Others lifted the Belfine by their limbs, plucking them off like one would a daddy long legs, appendages dropping on the floor like wet sacks of meat. While the things seemed to spawn from his eyes, he could still manage to see, albeit via the strange creature's own visual apparatus. He watched the horror-stricken faces of his captors stretch in pain and surprise, and saw their bodies come apart like shreds of red-dyed paper. When it was over, quiet re-entered the room. Only the hushed music of blood trickling to the floor echoing down the hall. The space looked like the canvas of an abstract artist, arcs of red staining the walls, explosions of vermilion festooning the floor and ceiling, cybernetic debris strewn about in crackling heaps. The tremulous lights transported him between the labs and the complete darkness, shifting erratically between realities. It was starting to disorient him, lull him into unconsciousness. Soon, the noise of the alarm and hissing wires dissipated, fading into the dirge of another sound. It was the cacophony of crashing waves, the ranting of an angry sea, its waters roiling and roaring to the tune of a thundering tempest. The audible discord inspired a horrible fear in him, not a spontaneous terror, but one that was ingrained in his consciousness through years of conditioning. It was as if he had previously experienced it, bowed beneath its infinite shadows countless times before, and shuddered at its presence. Before he had time to contemplate the feeling, he felt his chest suddenly crush inward. Before he knew it, he flew through several walls, crashing like a comet. Usually, such a blow would have killed him, rendered him little more than a bloody smear upon the floor. But he was far more than what he used to be. Cell immediately rose to his feet, his chest aching but intact. In front of him, he could hear something massive barreling towards him, tearing down walls as if they were made from cardboard. As the last barrier came down, he saw a hulking mass of muscle, fangs, and tendrils. The Chimera's body was a testament to the Belfine's technology. 
It looked like it had been chiseled from stone, a beastly god carved from basalt and granite. Its face was a hive of wandering eyes, all focused on him, and its mouth was a pit of jagged teeth. Tendrils served as its hair, ropey things that writhed and snapped like organic whips. Vasculature crawled across its body like creepers on the side of an abandoned building, feeding the swollen musculature of its arms, legs, and body. Its fingers ended in sharp metallic claws, irregularly shaped digits designed for the cold purpose of killing. Mineral and metal alike punctuated its body, sometimes jutting out like spikes, other times ambulating with a mysterious purpose. The ten-foot-tall thing glared at Salvatore with an unresolved rapaciousness. It was no simple beast. However, it betrayed an intelligence, a kind of cunning stirring behind its eyes. Sal knew the things could talk, but the thing knew there was nothing to discuss. This would end only with the end of one of their lives. The Chimerith roared and loped towards Salvatore, the weight of its speedy amble causing the room to shake. Its gigantic hand rushed toward his face with the force of a cannonball. To his surprise, he ducked beneath it easily, the thing's massive hand smashing through another wall. In response, Sal's eyes opened, conjuring a menagerie of serpentine creatures, their thick, elongated bodies rapidly engulfing the heaving monster, their mouths and strange stingers stabbing in and out of the Chimera's bulk. Eye-born monstrosities were like darting eels, puncturing the Goliath's flesh with smooth, uninterrupted stabs. However, the beast was not without its defenses. Bone spikes began to erupt from its body, and sharp structures burned red-hot. Cell's demonic helpers recoiled, strange vocalizations emanating from their yawning maws. The Chimerith wasted no time. With its gigantic hands, it grabbed the snaking appendages in a bunch and swung them toward the ceiling. Cell broke through another floor, stone and metal raining down all around him. The monster pulled him back down without missing a beat, slamming him into the decimated hallway. Salvatore gritted his teeth, blood spilling like waterfalls between the enamel crevices. He tried to stand but found himself quickly within the grasp of the giant creature, pinning his arms to his sides with its massive, clawed fingers. The monstrosity beamed with a sinister smile, then let loose a hellacious roar. Its mouth agape, Salvatore spilled a horde of snarling beasts from his eyes and into his assailant's throat. The Chimera's neck bulged, and a horrible choking sound emanated from its mouth. Sal shot more creatures out, darting into the beast's eyes, tunneling into its skull, and devouring the gray matter within. With one collective pull, Sal withdrew his demonic compatriots from the monster's throat and head, dragging with it a cascade of innards and entrails. The gory mess spilled to the ground with an awful splash, followed by the Herculean body that once housed them. Salvatore stood there, looking at the devastation. 
The place resembled an abattoir, minced flesh festooning the walls and floor, mechanical limbs sparking and dripping unrecognizable oils, faces frozen in rigor expressions of fear and horror. His rage felt infinite, a horizon without end. What had they done to him? What was he? He looked at his reflection in a pool of blood below him. He looked the same, save for his eyes, like two small black holes swirling wildly. Realizing he was naked, he made his way to one of the many corpses strewn about and pilfered a robe. He wrapped it around himself and draped the hood over his head. Indeed, more would be coming, and he wasn't sure how many chimeras he could stave off. If the one was any indication, not many. Salvatore quickly made his way through a series of doors, tearing them off their hinges with unprecedented ease. The place seemed abandoned. The Belfine no doubt evacuated and waited for their Chimera's protectors. Surmising they may be waiting outside to ambush him, he focused his eyes upwards and let loose a deluge of claws, teeth, and pincers. They crashed through the ceiling like serpentine cudgels, their mouths crunching down on stone and rapidly pulling him upward. The sinuous things hefted him with such force that he slingshot into the night sky, drifting through the violence of the above storm, rain peppering his body like tiny falling daggers. He descended, the top of a large stone building rapidly approaching. The things, whatever they were, shot out below him, steadying his descent until he landed softly upon the place's rooftop. He stood there, still, trying to process everything that had happened. He looked below and watched figures move about, no doubt the Belfines searching for their escape science project. He remembered very little, only Alaric wrapping him up in a cocoon of cybernetic appendages and whisking him away via a dark series of tunnels. He had no idea where the others were, but he assumed they'd also been taken. The thunder bellowed above, its voice echoing across the landscape. For some reason, it induced a stab of fear, an overwhelming sense of dread deep inside him. It was from the other. He could sense it. Though he had no idea what the other was, he only had a sense of it, a presence that was only slightly discernible from his own. He had no idea what he was now, but Sal knew, deep down, he was no longer human. Or, at least, completely human. Salvatore peered down once more, looking at the scrambling people below. There was a rage welling within him, a desire to dive into the crowds and wrench them apart. It wasn't just him, it was whatever was inside him, its anger overlapping with his. But he had to stave off the impulse and snuff out the fires within to find his friends. After that, he would kill as many of those Belfine motherfuckers as he could. As he peered down onto the streets, he noticed a small, palpitating light in one of the nearby alleyways. At first, it seemed to be the random effulgence of a street lamp or a burning barrel. But after a few moments, he noticed a pattern to the flickering, one he had recognized. It was Morse code. Wesley emerged from the void of unconsciousness and into the nightmare of the waking world. The room's sterility almost shined, the smell of disinfectant assaulting his sense of smell. He looked about him, finding the same tubes and wires journeying in and out of his body. He struggled a bit, hoping something would come loose, but, to his chagrin, he was affixed securely to the surrounding devices. However, as he was still coming to, he could hear something. An alarm. 
What the hell is going on? I don't know, but something has got them riled up. That's all good and great, but how the hell does that help us? Panic breeds mistakes, little Wesley. We only need to wait for our opportunity. Well, that's very optimistic of you. I always try to look on the bright side of things. <laughs> What the hell? Oh, ye of little faith. Try the shackles now. I can feel the ethereal paralytic waning. Fuck! They're too goddamn tight. Try harder, you fucking weakling! You're the cosmic evil, for Christ's sake! Why don't you do it? I apologize for the ruckus, Dr. Morgan. Just a temporary setback. Now, to give you some more rest. Do it now, you fucking sack of shit! Before he injects us again! I'm afraid there's no rest for the wickens. <laughs> need to find Vorin. Ah, leave him. We don't need the bookworm. I'm not leaving without him, goddammit. Hesperius remained silent, knowing Wesley wouldn't be swayed to abandon his friend. Instead, Wesley went to the door and smashed it open. The metal thing flew across the hall and into the neighboring wall. There was no one around. He could hear the sounds of metal screeching and stone crumbling as if they were undergoing bombardment from outside. He wondered if the Scorched Children were attacking, if they had somehow breached their defenses and made it into the city. Regardless, he quickly made his way down the throat of several corridors, peeking in the windows as he went. Like last time, a menagerie of bizarre creatures was restrained by the Belfine's many contraptions. Some looked on the brink of death, while others seethed with violent indignation, desperately trying their restraints. However, there was no Belfine to be seen, Wesley surmised that, upon the assault, they all evacuated, seeking safety elsewhere. He continued down various hallways until he saw a platform surrounded by glass, or some form of plexiglass. Looks like an elevator of some sort. Wesley walked up to the thing, and the glass automatically shifted open. He quickly stepped in. Before he could respond, the man-sized capsule shot downward. The small space shared the same drab aesthetic as the rest of the lab, perfectly clean and reeking of chemicals. After a few seconds, it stopped, and the translucent panels parted again. More hallways. Wesley stepped out of the thing and began the repetitive task of peering through the small windows adorning each door. He saw grisly experiment after grisly experiment, an industry of biological testing and outre experimentation. Seeing his craft so horribly abused was almost enough to make Wesley sick. After nearly giving up hope that Vorn was in the building, he finally saw his limp, unconscious form being held by a series of mechanical arms. Close to him, he could see an ovular capsule dripping with what looked like Vorn's ink. It writhed within its container as if it were alive, desperately seeking escape from its glassy new home. Wesley tried the door, but it only beeped at him most likely requiring a retinal scan or some other esoteric means of identification. Instead, he simply ripped the thing off its hinges and flung it aside. A 
Another alarm went off, but it didn't matter at this point. He would fight his way out if he needed to. Wesley used his assemblage of horrible limbs to snap and break the constraints holding Vorin in place. Various tubes and syringes fell from his body, falling to the floor with a subdued clack. Wesley hefted Vorin's limp body over his shoulder and carried him out into the hallway. He laid him down softly on the floor and gently tried to wake him. After some jostling and a few light slaps on the face, Vorin came to. Well, what's going on? We're getting the hell out of here. That's what's going on. Vorin looked over at the mangled threshold of his once prison. How the hell did that happen? Uh, it was like that when I got down here. The whole place is a mess. It's, it sounds like the Belfine are under attack. Vorin nodded and tried to get up. He was weak from whatever drugs or substances they pumped into his body. Wesley grabbed him by the arm and lifted him from the floor, assisting him to the elevator. Where's Silvertoe? What? The bastards experimented on Sal, fused him with... something. I'm not sure if he's still alive, or worse. As for Moffat, no one knows where the fuck he is. Damn it. So what's the plan? We get the hell out of here, that's what. From there... Who the hell knows? Wesley and Vorin exited the elevator and slowly walked through a maze of crumbling hallways. Loose wires hissed from the ceiling, and broken electronics spit and sparked. Unidentifiable organics pulsated with a subdued vigor, the last gasps of breath before the death rattle. Wesley could see now that many of those creatures interred by the Balfine were dead. He surmised that, with the security breach, a termination protocol was in place to ensure subjects didn't get loose and cause a problem. He was lucky he found Vorin when he did. As they made their way through the wrecked laboratory, Wesley noticed a large fissure in the neighboring wall. Hey, there's a breach over there. I think we can squeeze through there. Might be better than going out the front door. Who knows what's out there waiting for us? Yeah, that's a good idea. If there was an attack, the last place we'd want to be is in the middle. Wesley nodded, and the two made their way to the giant crack in the wall. Warren, the smaller of the two, went first sliding his thin frame between the two stone slabs. He could feel the tickle of rain on his face as he made his way to the other side, a cloistered lane tucked between the manufactorium and some different structures. Are you all right? What's out there? The coast is clear, just an empty alleyway. Though, I can hear a ruckus a bit out further. All right, I'm coming through. Wesley squeezed himself through the crevice, his clothes tearing on the jagged stone. Once he was out, he felt a certain kind of liberation, the wind provided a welcome easiness, and the rain washed away the grime of a stuffy lab. The thunder barked above, and Wesley could hear violence in the distance. What the hell is going on? No idea, but it doesn't sound good. I need to find Sal and get the hell out of here. There was no sign of him inside? Not that I could see, but uh, it's possible he got out too and is looking for us now. I'm just not sure where to start looking. Neither am I. The two stood quietly, the storm rumbling above, the murmuring of unseen gods dwelling in the stars. As the two started to make their way from the mouth of the alley, Wesley saw a figure dart into another lane, one holding what looked like a lamp. Moffat? Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. 
The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at maltopia.com. 